Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 rolls on final hour Friday edition. We made it. Sixth and Peabody, our location, downtown Nashville. One of the few places open due to the snow in Nashville. Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. About to be joined by Brent Hubs and Austin Price of AllQuest.com. Um, some headlines out there. J.J. Watt has been designated to return off of injured reserve to the Cardinals roster, much like Derrick Henry. J.J. Watt expected to be ready to go for the postseason. This was supposed to be a season-ending injury. Yeah, I know. He's doing his thing. It's the shoulder, right? I think so. John Madden's family is going to light the torch at the Raiders game. Of course, that's Sunday night football, and that is Raiders and Chargers win to get in to the postseason. Very cool. Clinton Portis sentenced to six months in prison. This is dating back to that insurance scheme, uh, fraud scheme, um, healthcare benefit deal. So he's headed to uh, six months in prison. And Justin Fields was going to play for Chicago. That was announced yesterday. And then now he's been placed on the COVID list, unfortunately. So the rookie... We'll see uh, the field again in 2022. For a new coach. For the new season, of course. Yes, for a new coach. Manning cast, baseball style, coming up for ESPN with Alex Rodriguez and Michael Kay. Michael Kay is the Yankees play-by-play guy who also does a New York City talk radio show in the middle of the day. He's excellent. It's only about a dozen or 15 games, guests, and the whole same kind of model. I'm not that interested in what Alex Rodriguez has to say. I am interested in the, the model and the guests and a baseball game not being covered, uh, you know, pitch by pitch. By pitch. Um, so I'm a little curious on that. They're also kind of busting up Sunday night baseball. Sounds like David Cohn, who's a Yankee guy is going to be involved in that booth and that buster only who's been in the dugout forever for that broadcast will not be in the dugout first baseball news in like a month or so since they have the lockout or whatever's going on so it's the only news that available is what ESPN's going to do with their broadcast uh plenty of news at volquest.com each yep. and every day and especially with the war room that they post um, on Fridays, Brent Hubs and Austin Price join us each and every week at this time. Uh, bowl season complete for the Vols, and it's time to recap what we saw here at Nissan Stadium against Purdue and all of the top headlines surrounding Tennessee football and the Vols athletic program. Brent, Austin, hope you guys are doing well. Hey, boys. What's going on, guys? Is Austin with us as well? I am. Oh, there I he am. Is. There he is, Austin Price, uh, with the the booming pipes there, guys. But Brent, I'll start with you. Just your your overall assessment of the Music City Bowl and what we saw the Vols uh, do on the field. What what Purdue certainly accomplished. Um, Chad and I and Paul, we've been discussing the officials <laughs> since that game. Uh, you had a great vantage point for it. What'd you think? 
Well, I mean, certainly missed opportunities for Tennessee. When when Hendon Hooker goes three of 13 on passes of over 20 yards or more, uh, that's not a good day. Uh, you know, he said it best after the game. He was average. I, I thought he was average. Uh, I didn't think Tennessee um, called the best set of plays at the end of regulation, didn't manage the clock on a couple of snaps the, the best that they could uh, could have. And so, you know, a lot of missed opportunities and then officiating has been a problem. We've talked about that all year long, um, that that was certainly a storyline in the game. And I thought Jeff Brown did a really good job of attacking Tennessee's secondary. He, he went at guys, went and, and targeted specific individuals to go at as well, if not better than anybody that had that, that Tennessee had faced all year long. Well, and, and that's obviously an area that Tennessee needs to improve uh, with that secondary in their play. What What's the hope in that secondary? I know there's a junior college player coming in. Trayvon Flowers announced he's coming back. But w- where do you see uh, any silver lining in that secondary with what Tennessee's going to be putting on the field next year? Well, Austin, I, I think that, that Kamal Haddon's got plenty of upside for Tennessee. I think Brandon Turnage has talent. Uh, Christian Charles has talent. I, I think the one thing that you look at when you look at this secondary is they probably missed opportunities um, to 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 play guys and blow out games that would have given them a chance to further develop some players. I mean, you got Alante Taylor who's got a bad foot. You you beat Vanderbilt by what four touchdowns, and, and you didn't play anybody but your five starters in the secondary that entire game. I just thought there was missed opportunities to develop some guys. Those guys have to develop this offseason and this spring. Yeah, I agree with you, Brent. I mean, when you look at, you know, Tennessee's kind of where they were early in the year, they put a lot more guys early in the year. November, they just didn't play a lot of bodies. And, you know, if you were out of necessity because some players were out, like Warren Burrell was out of Kentucky, Kamal hadn't had to step in there. Kamal hadn't had to step in with turnage out due to some off-season uh, cleanup and, and then Alante Taylor opting out of the bowl game. So uh, I'm with you. They, they missed some opportunities to continue to cultivate development. And then, two, like for me, they got to prove that they're willing to make a move. Like, you know, they can say they've got to be better in the back end, but if they're going to still trot out the same group of guys that got torched by Purdue, a depleted Purdue team, then, you know, you either need to develop them or, or – or admit you're just, you know, you, you love experience more than you do, you know, potential talent because Tennessee, you know, had some guys I think that are more athletic than the current group that went out there for most of the year. But because of experience, they chose to not play those guys. Another takeaway watching that game, and, and I'm thinking about it with, with these, and not that they played bad in this one, but Tennessee's got to get bigger at running back. Uh, you know, with, with the two guys they had playing in that Music City Bowl, What's the outlook there? Would Tennessee be willing to take a, a transfer, a veteran guy at running back for next year? Well, they would, Chad. You know, Tennessee's you know looking at Christian Bill Smith, the Wake Forest transfer, but he's not a bigger running back. Justin Williams is their bigger running back. I mean, he's six foot and he's about two hundred and ten pounds uh, without being in a college weight room. You know, what's he going to be when he you know goes through a, a complete off season? You know, and, and kind of gets a chance to you know you know build himself up you know with a nutritionist, build himself up you know with a strength coach on a daily uh, regiment. You know, Tennessee's hoping that Justin Williams is who they think he is, and if that's the case, then Tennessee will have their bigger back that can uh, withstand some pounding, and then they'll have a nice collection of 
you know, a couple of smaller guys like Jalen Wright and, and of course, you know, uh, you know, Jabari Small, who, you know, really, you know, played well in the bowl game, even with the 62 yard run, he had 100, you know, over 120 yards at that point and, and had 180 for the game. So, you know, credit, credit the kid, you know, for continuing to battle through, you know, a couple of shoulder deals all year long. And, uh, you know, Tennessee's hoping that bigger back is Justin Williams. No, Tyler Barron is in the portal and that his dad's support staff position uh, ended in, in November, but sounds like there's a chance that he would come back. What's your, what, what do you guys guts tell you? On the potential well, he's announced he is going to run it back on Instagram. He's taking himself out of the portal, and uh, and you know that's happened within the last hour, hour and a half. And uh, you know he is uh, you know announced on his Instagram that he's running it back. Paul, we're all running it back, whatever that means. What but, uh, uh, what, what was the deal for for him with his dad and then the potential for Kentucky there? I guess. Well, you know, uh, Coach Abernathy, you know, was no longer with, at Tennessee, Brent. The situation that you know was unfortunate, um, and uh, you know I think that weighed on Tyler. But you know I think you know living with Hendon Hooker and and you know already having established relationships here, um, I think probably weighed just a little bit more. I think he thought long and hard about looking at t- at Kentucky, Texas A and M, but in the end uh, chose to come back to Tennessee. Of course, nothing is definitive, Brent, until you know either the drop out at Kentucky or wherever passes by, and or he starts school at Tennessee later this month. Yeah, school starts at Tennessee on January the 24th, so we still got some time there where he could explore those options. The bigger thing is is going to another school because of their drop-ad deadline. Florida State reached out. They had some interest there. He didn't have any interest. you gotta be, you got to be in class on Monday at Florida State. That's their drop-ad date. If you're not there on Monday, then you're not getting into that semester. So a little bit of a tight window there. I think he's going to come back. I think it's one thing to note on his dad and, and Patrick Abernathy, that was not a situation where Josh Heupel uh, went and removed uh, Patrick Abernathy. He, he didn't – that wasn't his call. Um, so there, there was no, you know, issue there, I don't think, with Tyler and, and, and the coach, the current Tennessee coaching staff because that wasn't their decision to, to make that change there. That was, uh, I think, some things involving the previous coaching staff and, uh, and some things with, with higher administration making that choice. Well, Brent, you mentioned the drop ad date at Florida State being Monday. Uh, Austin, question for you and how that affects Tennessee with Jared Verse, uh, the transfer from Albany who looks like he's down to Tennessee and Florida State. I'm assuming if it's Florida State, would he not have to make that decision over the weekend to be at, at cl- yeah, in class I mean, on Monday? Rubber's meeting the road rather quickly here, Chad, and you know, Jared, to me, is going to have to come to a decision. He's really been torn all week. He's had constant dialogue with the FSU staff, with the Tennessee staff. Um, you know, obviously, you know, he's kind of went quiet otherwise. You know, Florida State reporters, Tennessee reporters, he's kind of laid low with them. You know, up until about three or four days ago, he had answered the phone 100% of the time when he called. And then I think he just decided to go, you know, kind of dark, you know, try to work, you know, work on a decision, kind of block out all the outside noise outside of talking with the current staffs at each school. And so to me, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I think there's a lot of hope that he comes to a decision sometime today. Remember, he is a, you know, a few hours behind us here in Knoxville. He's out in Phoenix where his parents live. And so we'll see if he uh, announces anything later today. But yeah, I mean, the, the rubbers will meet the road of Florida State's drop ad coming up on Monday. Uh, he'll have to be in Tallahassee and, and, and sign up for classes by then. 
Brent Hubbs and Austin Price with us from VolQuest.com. Brent, uh, can you help me explain the the exemption that the the NCAA is now going to give for teams who transfer? Is there like eight more to a class or uh, something? Help me explain what I what I was reading earlier this week. Well, they, they they put the exemption in place that that you can you can ex, you can go to thirty two if you have room, meaning you can you can add seven transfers on top of a class okay. of twenty five if you have room for that because you've got to stay under the eighty five number. Um, you also, if you're going to bring in a bunch of midterm transfers, you have to be under the eighty five number at midterm to bring in those guys. You can't be over the scholarship limit. Uh, for, for the spring semester, you can't be sitting at 87 or 88 guys on scholarship. Um, super seniors last year did not count against the 85 number. Um, so if your head's spinning right now, like you're watching a beautiful mind or <laughs> uh, goodwill hunting or whatever, go, go right ahead. Um, the, the math's pretty complicated in, in all of this. Uh, bottom line with, with Tennessee is uh, I think that they're going to end up with probably about 27, 28 new guys. Uh, in this, when when you go when you get to August, that's going to be the total new number of guys there. They have 14 midtermers who are coming to town to go to school on January the 24th. If you count Jared Mincy, the transfer from Florida, um, so to get all those guys in, you got to make sure you're under your 85. And in Tennessee's case, if you're self self imposing anything, you're below that 85 number. So so it's you're playing a math game and. Yeah. So that that that's why, quite frankly, Dee Beckwith's departure wasn't a bad thing for Tennessee in terms of number management. Uh, same with for for Will Albright. Now Tyler Barron, they did not, you know, they wanted him back and did not want him to leave. But Tennessee probably needed to make a little room. They might need to make a little bit more room here in the next twelve days, depending on what happens in the transfer portal. Is it a is it a straight one for one? Like if can you go up to thirty two if you have the the uh, amount of players like a, one player transfers you could add a, a, another player extra to your signing class does it work like that yeah you can you can go one for one up to seven guys now if if you've got thirty guys who transfer you can't replace thirty for thirty right you can't go one for one that far you could go one for one up to seven as long as you stay under that eighty five number um, you also have to have to go one for one. If a guy transfers, he has to transfer Austin during – if he transfers in the fall or he transfers – well, what would be now the fall semester with the new rules in place there, he has to remain in school and, and leave Tennessee. He has to finish the fall semester in order for him to count in that bucket of of one-for-one one with those seven. Yeah, so like Brian Maurer, who departed in August, he stayed in school at Tennessee and thus – he would count. Most people didn't think he would count. Brent and I didn't think he would count. But in, term, in, in reality, he does count in, in, in those that you could replace because he stayed in school and he ended in academic good standing. Cayman Marley, I don't believe he ended in academic good standing. So he would not count. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. And then the one thing Brent didn't talk about was just like, you know, if you're transferring, you have to decide before February 1st if you're going to go league to league. So, like, if you're at Arkansas and you want to go play at LSU, you have to do that before February 1st. You cannot transfer it from league school to league school after February 1st. Which makes sense. You don't want the people going into camp somewhere and jumping ship and going somewhere else. Basketball question for you guys. 
Uh, Tennessee played well in a loss to Alabama, played awful in a win at home against Ole Miss. And guys, I can't for the life of me figure out what Rick Barnes is doing from a rotation standpoint with this team. And I'm watching them play. They seem like no one wants to shoot the basketball for fear of their coach at times, uh, which I have not seen a lot of that with Rick Barnes' teams. But there's just something missing with guys he's got in that rotation right now. What's been your observations, especially coming off the, that brick fest between Tennessee and Ole Miss on Wednesday? Well, they, I mean, they yeah, put I mean, up over they put up over thirty three point shots in that game. So, I mean, enough people weren't scared to shoot it to put up thirty threes over thirty threes in a, in a game. Which, uh, when you don't make those threes, that it, it becomes really bad basketball. I, I think the biggest thing for this team, Austin, is. And, and we've talked about it, Austin, on our podcast for two months now almost. What What's this team's answer when they can't make the three-point shot? And right now, I don't think they have an answer. I, I, I mean, John Fulkerson against Arizona, that's the answer you would like. But I don't think we there, there's enough evidence over the last five or six years, Austin, that you're not going to see that out of John Fulkerson each and every, every night. He's not going to play with that kind of consistency. So where do you go for points? when your guys on the perimeter aren't making three-point shots. What they did against Ole Miss is they just kept shooting until a couple of them fell late. That was the difference in winning the game and losing the game. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those situations where, you know, they couldn't buy a bucket. And, and I'm talking about the simplest of buckets. I mean, Tennessee had a couple of nice steals. Vescovi was one of them, and, and he goes in, or Vescovi, um, <laughs> you know, old habits die hard. Um, you know, and, and, and they missed – you know, bunnies at the rim. Like, Tennessee's got to be better in the paint. Uh, Fulkerson, I thought, played his worst game of the year, um, you know, the other night against Ole Miss. I mean, you know, he he tried to do what he did on a couple of different occasions against Arizona, and it just didn't work. And so it was just not his night. Luckily, they got uh, Vescovy, you know, rolling late and then in overtime, and, and Tennessee was able to gut through it, gut it out. So, Tennessee's about where I thought they would be through league play through two games, win and win. And on the good side for Tennessee, they are an elite defensive team, and that's going to keep them in pretty much every game, even when they're not hitting, because they're really good on the defensive end. And Zakai Ziegler, uh, help, help me understand you know, how Rick Barnes pretty consistently seems to find a diamond in the rough, but that he is the heart and soul of this team, possibly, as a freshman who should be a senior in high school, a five foot nine point guard from the Bronx that no one was recruiting, and Tennessee found him in a gym somewhere, and he's immediately a, an impact player. It's crazy to think about the journey for Zakai Ziegler with this team. Yeah, I mean, I think with with first of all defensively, and I, I don't want to rip on this team. I, I think you got to be a little bit careful uh, with with where they are defensively. I thought they were really good against Arizona. Um, Ole Miss was bad was as bad offensively as Tennessee was in that game. Yeah. They, they made a couple of more threes, but you're not going to get teams to throw it away 27 times. I mean, how many skip passes did Ole Miss throw that that basically hit the second row uh, in that game? So Tennessee was, I mean, Ole Miss shot 40 something percent from the field. They just threw it away because their their point guard was was on the bench not playing. So I, I think Tennessee. Can, can certainly be better defensively than they were, they're going to have to score. You're just not going to play many games where you're down by, by one point or two points at the half 
when you've only scored 19. That's just not going to happen enough to keep you in game. So they've obviously got to play a lot better offensively. As for Ziegler, it's a guy they found at the Peach Jam, you know, and, and just watched him and liked him and kept watching him and liked him more and more that they watch him. had a conversation with Rick Barnes in the preseason, and he just said, you know what? He has the mentality that you're looking for. He's just tough. He's grit. Uh, Barnes told him in New York when they were playing in Madison Square Garden up there in the tournament, he said, hey, I, I just don't know how many minutes I'm going to be able to get you on the floor up here while we're here. And Zakai said, well, why not? He said, well, it's just not a great matchup because Villanova and North Carolina, especially, you know, have, have bigger guards. And Zakai just looked at him and said, that doesn't matter. I mean, like, what, you're not going to play me because I'm too short? Is that what you're talking about here? Like, I'm not backing down from anybody. And, and that mentality Rick Barnes absolutely loves. He's not afraid of anything. Doesn't shoot it as well as you would like, but he is quick. He plays good defense, and he's got the toughness that Rick Barnes is all about. Brent Hubbs and Austin Price from FallQuest.com, the very best in Tennessee coverage and Tennessee athletics. Guys, Happy New Year to you. Thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll catch up next week. Sounds good, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you. Brent and Austin, the best. And uh, the site is fantastic. Uh, if you're an SEC fan, you want some scoop on an opponent. If you're a Tennessee fan, you already know about VolQuest. VolQuest.com. They flat out get it done. Telling story there about Ziggler. I like that. I love well, that. And this is, uh, I, I love them, too. This is a great quote from Ziggler. Was asked about that story with Rick Barnes, and he said, the only way I can't do it is if I can't do it, and I'm going to be able to do it. Basically, if you don't play me, I can't prove it. But the, the, he said, no one's going to, he told uh, Rick Barnes, no one's going to back me down in the paint. I'm, I'm not getting punked by anyone, so you can play me. It's okay. There is an aspect of Derrick Henry's return that fascinates me and has amazed me over the last couple of months. That's next on Kick 360. Live from 6th and Peabody in downtown Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. It's Outkick 360 with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Crew's all here. Shout out to David Reed for making the show happen for us, pulling double duty yet again due to the snowstorm and the ice uh, in town. He's able to make it to the studio today, and he's running both radio and video for us, and for that, we are super appreciative. Um, Derek Henry, back at practice. And it, by the way, it appeared as he, he did just as much as he was doing outside that he did indoors. Right? Certainly did yesterday. I saw video of it, pool video. Yeah. Today, the pool video was just a stretch. Uh, it's a much lighter day anyway. And Vrabel said he, he you know, basically had two more regular practices indoor. Um, said, you know, he'll be assessed tomorrow. All, all the same things he would say of anybody that returned to practice for three days, he said about Henry. Be assessed tomorrow. Well, um, and, we'll and, know tomorrow whether or not he's playing. Tomorrow because, afternoon, two or three o'clock. Well, that they'll activate him if he's playing. They'll activate him because he'll be on the team flight right. to go to Houston, right? So that that's when we'll know. Um, there's something though about this entire rehab process that fascinates me. I think it's in, extremely hard to pull off, and I'm also amazed that. We have a superstar that does this. Um, Derrick Henry is, let, let's let's try to quantify how we would describe his superstar status. If we were in San Francisco or Seattle or 
Idaho. Like, it doesn't even have to be an NFL market. They know who Derrick Henry is, right? Sure. Sure. Uh, household name. Um, Heisman winner. Like, the whole gamut there. We, we know the background. The, the thing that strikes me, guys, and, and by the way, Paul and Chad haven't heard this opinion yet. When is the last time we've heard from the guy? It was the week of Halloween prior to his injury. He was injured on Halloween against the Colts on the 31st. That's the last time we've heard from him. This is the same guy that, at the very minimum, doesn't do very much anyway, media-wise, but during the offseason would post videos of his workouts, and we would see various things. We haven't seen or heard from the guy. Um, we, We saw him for the first time this week, but... That's really hard to pull off in the superstar status of sports nowadays. And I don't know if you guys agree or not. I, I'm amazed that somebody hasn't come across him or tried to hear from him. We haven't heard from him this week because he's not a part of the active roster. He's just designated to return, so they're not making him available. But it's been radio silence for one of the well-known players in the National Football League. I mean, imagine if, like, just take any quarterback, uh, but especially the the star status of a Brady or a Mahomes or a Rodgers or you know Antonio Brown can't stop talking about his ankle. De- Henry's the opposite. I mean, he went completely dark on everything. Not a social media post, to my knowledge, that, igno- that updated anybody. Yeah, no progress Nothing. reports or videos or pictures of him Nothing. working out. The, the only thing we heard about him was either through Rappaport or Schefter uh, or Rossini or whatever, or Clay's talking about his return to the facility. But prior to that, we don't have any clue what went down, just that everything was on schedule. I'm amazed by it. Well, he was back at the facility much earlier than that, which, which helps him be so quiet and invisible because is he's not going to be spotted at some rehab facility or training site. Um, so I'm not surprised that he did it. It's his way, and it's most teams' way of wanting a rehabilitating guy to act. You're, you're in the background, and you're un, unseen. So I'm not surprised by that. I am surprised nobody sees him at a gas station or a, or a restaurant or something. I think COVID plays into it a little bit because all of these guys, John Glennon, uh, our friend, was working on a story last week about just uh, you know the urgency of avoiding COVID now. And virtually every guy he asked said, I don't do anything. I go from here home, and I get DoorDash, and I come back here. And so I think the odds of us seeing a lot of guys are way down in terms of just like stumbling across a guy or seeing him somewhere. Well, um, And so I, that, that point, contributes to it as well. To that point, too, I mean, the, the radio silence – if it's not on social media, if you're not on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, um, the media is really not reporting on anything anymore. They're just regurgitating whatever is out there social media wise. You know that we're reporting on what Antonio Brown's saying on social media. Uh, if, if, well, if and he not, goes if, on a podcast too, which yeah, is a form right, of right. media. But that's yeah, that's an interview. But you know, he's posting. I'm, I'm saying like he's posting screenshots and things. Yeah, right. Like we're. We're discussing that. I don't think there's near as much reporting that goes on in this league anymore. No one's digging deep for any type of news. They're just waiting on the player to report for them. Yeah, and then yeah. they well, I mean and then they they 
react to it. That's true, generally, yes. And in the Derrick Henry example, though, it's exceptionally hard to dig. There's nowhere to go. Right. Uh, that's also There's fascinating. There's nowhere to, to go. <laughs> You're right. To dig. Like, you, you'd have to go. You can't go stake out You've got to go stake out his house and, and which see is, where he goes and follow uh, which him. Which is, you know, in, inappropriate to me, you know, beyond the, beyond the, the bounds. I, I think that it's impressive that, like you said, you know, not spotted at a restaurant, at the grocery store, at, I mean, I really think this guy completely shut it down to driving or go or being driven, going to a rehab facility and then going home. But that was it. But like I said, decided, I, I, that's you know, this the is going to be a time. I'm going to be home. That's the same thing Ryan Tannehill's doing, who is active. Deshaun Watson's done that. I mean, that's a totally different case, but he's been invisible. There's a big deal. He was at a Rockets basketball game lately, and it was like the first he's been seen doing. Oh, that's anything. another good point. Well, that's based on lawyer right. recommendation. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, if you just want to go. Not trainer recommendation, right. but lawyer recommendation. A little different set of circumstances for Derek and, and Deshaun. And, their and Derek ghosting. was on crutches or in a boot for a time of that, where it's probably a huge pain in the ass to be out or anywhere. Yeah, but I, I mean, if he's rehabbing and everything's on schedule, like I would, I, I mean, not, not Henry. He's built, he, he's just wired differently with this. But I mean, even in the offseason, he's posting workout videos. I'm, I'm just surprised that we haven't seen anything. And Most s- of the time, players want, to report their own good Progress. news. Yeah. You know? Some of that's not here, right? He surely was running in a pool. Do they have that running pool at the Titans facility? I don't know. I don't I don't think so. It's not the regular cold tub thing. It's a special I don't know kind what of pool that there. you do yeah. the running. We haven't had a tour of that tra- their training facility after the most recent update. So, but I would think there had to be some degree of rehab that does go on where he's at a doctor's office. That's oftentimes where you might get a little bit of a tip. I saw him at, uh, you know, the surgery center for out, a checkup yeah. or something. I'm sure they're backdooring, taking guys in the back door there, uh, always secretly, and doing the best they can to avoid him being seen by anybody. And everybody's, you know cooperating with that for the benefit of a you know privacy of a star the same they do with a country music star here in nashville or whoever the people that work at those places you can get into a lot of trouble if you give something to a reporter or say something of something doing something medically yeah going in there uh, but i know this firsthand my mom for years she retired as the the outpatient scheduler for baptist st thomas mm. and uh, when i was growing up she could tell us hey, such and such is hurt for the Titans when they had the contract because I had to walk them. She would be the one that walked them into the... But she's not telling... I mean, when I became someone on air, she wouldn't tell me (laughs) who she saw there until after the fact because she does not want that reported and obviously getting back to her. My point being, I think those people take their job seriously. seriously. It would take someone in the waiting area... That's got an ACL yeah. tear. That's a you know regular Joe. To that's up. going to rehab. That just happened to see him walk through. That would see something. Say, hey, he's moving well, or he's walking fine, or whatever. Right. And Nashville's pretty good as cities go about people respecting celebrities' privacy. For the most uh, part, yeah, absolutely. Paul, you asked Julio Jones today about his nine catches over the last eight games, over the same time frame that Henry has been out. Julio has nine catches, um, along with uh, plenty of time rehabbing the, the hamstring. That does include 
time with uh, on injured reserve as well, right? Yeah, and I'm a huge pariah, of course, on Twitter because I, I, I wrote out what he said, which I thought was a terrible non-answer, though certainly uh, a, a nice team thing. I mean, he didn't make it about him. Or, you know, he wasn't selfish. There was nothing selfish about it. And so every single Titans fan on Twitter was like, oh, my God, what a team first guy. This is wonderful, blah, blah, blah. I thought it was very much a non-answer. Um, and now that I've said, you know, uh, Julio Jones is a disappointment, everybody's been like, we're the number one seed. How could you possibly say something bad? I said, you know, the Titans can be great and Julio Jones can be bad. Both things are and true. these are not mutually exclusive, but I'm getting destroyed. Um, because well, he said, I dare say something bad about the Titans when things are going good. Julio Jones has been a disaster. People keep telling me he's open and Tannehill isn't throwing to him. Then why aren't you bitching about Tannehill? <laughs> where, where, I mean, either, if Julio Jones is open and Tannehill's not throwing to him, there should be some complaints about Tannehill. And I don't believe the that one to be time, the case the on one a regular time basis. was the first snap of the, the game where he got sacked. Right, but he got hit. So that was more on the protection. But he was open. Like but, that, that's yeah. the that's the one memory I have of Julio Jones running open. But but look, I've been a fan of good teams before with an underperforming player. It, it, the team being good doesn't absolve the player being bad. So he, Julio, you want to hear said what? what he said? It's all about the opportunity. It's all about the opportunity within games and different stuff like that. If I'm not the read, I'm not the read. You don't want to go out there and force things to people or do things like that. We're getting out of character, right? The whole thing is it's a team sport. Regardless of what I'm getting paid or what the case may be, it's never that. Nor do I play the game to think like that. It's one of those things where people talk about, well, we need to see this, we need to see that. But you don't know what type of people are. You don't know what you don't want to have a guy that can perform, but you don't trust or you don't know what you're going to get out of that guy. That's Julio Jones. You don't know what you're going to get out of that guy. <laughs> My whole thing is I'm here and I'm available, and if it needs to be that type of game or this type of game, I'm all for it. Well, it hasn't been that type of game or this type of game. It's been one type of game, the type of game where he doesn't do anything. And Mike Vrabel, the first question he was asked about Julio Jones, he said, availability is the biggest deal, indicating the guy's not around a lot. So he's, but everybody's making it like, well, he's had a bad hamstring. He's been on the field for a lot of games. And a lot of games, he's been on the field, he's done nothing. My consideration is if the guy can play, I'm expecting him to do something. And I'm sorry, Julio Jones, they gave up a second rounder in something, and they're paying him $15 million. I expect some level of production. I'm crazy that way, people. I know. <laughs> I, should, I should be uh, an apologist for him and say, hey, they're great. They're great with Julio Jones sucking, and so it's fine that he sucks. <laughs> That's what I should say. That's what you all want me to say. But that's stupid. They should be much better than they are because this guy was brought here to be a real receiving weapon, and he hasn't done bleep. Hasn't done bleep. So I don't know why you're fine with that. You should be like, hey, my team's terrific. If only the damn Hall of Fame receiver would also do something, then we could go to the Super Bowl and win it. But you're still thinking he's going to step out there and have a 15-catch game for 200 yards? He's not. He's done. Well said, Paul. And that would have been a situation where it would have been completely acceptable. I was, I was in here in studio when you were on the conference call and asked the question. And that would have been perfectly acceptable time to say, yeah, it, it's disappointing that, that I haven't been available more and that I haven't done more 
when I've been available. I, I would have looking I would, forward to doing I more. I would have respected that answer if you when you asked. It's yeah, go time. I'm, I'm sure they didn't sign up for that when they traded me. I, I I didn't sign up for that. I was hoping to do a lot more. I was hoping to be healthier. I was hoping these things. So all I can do now is be better moving forward. Boom. That would have been a great response to that. And let's also say what we said yesterday. It's not unreasonable to think that he can provide more in the playoffs than what he has provided in the regular season because, as Paul has just li- uh, outlined, it's nine catches over eight games. Oh, so uh, hard I mean, not to do more. Right. I said I he would be my top candidate big. that hasn't done anything that could do something. If you're looking Based at someone, on what he's done, someone right. to actually step up that's going to have a big moment or – big uh, impact on a playoff game. He's the top candidate because he has not done anything yet. Coming up, we preview Titans and Texans. Take a look at NFL Week 18 and look through the weekend of games that will actually kick off tomorrow with Kansas City taking on Denver. And then we, we get to see Philly rest their starters and then Dallas likely do the same, even though they say they're going to be playing their starters uh, we'll preview the NFL weekend ahead next on Outkick 360. Titans and Texans this Sunday. PK's headed to Houston. Hope for some good food. Going to my place, El Tiempo. Maybe they, deli- Maybe they deliver. Filet. El Tiempo gets it done. Filet fajitas. That was uh, quite the culinary experience when we went to that place. I mean, I think Houston. I land at 4, and I think I might be at El Tiempo at 445. Uh, easily. Easily. Get I'll in get early. 360 rolls that on. Saturday night crowd gets there quick. That's you want right. to get the early Eat bird special? Bar. Go home, watch TV, watch the games, and fall asleep. It's my plan. I I'm rooting for craziness on Sunday, and the the crazy the craziness aspect would happen if Jacksonville beats Indy. Yes, Um, it's not happening. I'm rooting for it too, but it's not happening. I don't think it's happening. I mean, I'm not betting on it, but it's crazy how. They have success against Indy, and then you look at their record against the rest of the league. It's nuts. But by, I mean, I'm not. I'm not predicting that Jacksonville wins the game. How about if that doesn't happen, it, it and would, then the late game ties when the tie isn't? Uh, it would be good. intriguing well, if I didn't think that Jacksonville has just completely quit. Let me. Well, I agree. <laughs> I agree. But, I, I think there would be a chance. But if it's they were always actually still playing. Yeah, and, and all the wins in Jacksonville don't always happen at the end of the year. During white flag season. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, they waved the white flag in December. Example, a year ago was the season opener. So here is, exactly. Here is what would happen, what could happen, if Jacksonville beats Indy. Detroit would get the number one overall selection in the draft. That's number one. Um, Pittsburgh would need to beat the Ravens, but if they do, they're in the postseason. With, if Jacksonville, Lamar Jackson. If Jacksonville beats Indy. Um, and then the winner of Chargers. The Chargers and Raiders, Raiders would both clinch because of the head-to-head wins over the Steelers. Yeah. Uh, with the tie. Oh, but, no, you yeah. see what I'm saying? But, but there would be a result, right. a win, and the Steelers would get in in that situation. It would clinch a playoff berth 
for Las Vegas after the early games. It could. Uh, the Ravens would need to beat the Steelers in that situation. And in that situation, the Raiders would clinch regardless of the outcome of their game against the Chargers. league does not want if that. If the Jags beat the Colts. The league does not want that. If that night game is not a do-or-die game, the league, I, I mean, I think we'll all be pissed. I, w- I want a playoff game Sunday night. It would keep Baltimore alive if Jacksonville beats the Colts. Because, again, they, they have a very slim chance, and assuming they beat the Steelers, the Ravens, to earn a playoff spot, they would need the Patriots to beat the Dolphins and the Raiders to beat the Chargers. Both but possible. they also need Indy to lose. I don't want the the Ravens in. I think they'll be completely non-competitive. The Colts, I agree. Uh, the Colts could get in, even with a loss. They would need the Ravens to beat the Steelers, the Dolphins to beat the Patriots, and the Raiders to beat the Chargers. That would get the Colts in with a loss to Jacksonville. Possible, though Miami's unlikely. Uh, Dolphins win over the Patriots, by the way, eliminates Baltimore no matter what happens. So... Again, that all of those things could happen. could happen if Jacksonville beats the Colts. That's the craziness uh, window. Like that, that would open up a lot of options for the postseason. Yeah, if the Colts win, it's much simpler. Paul, you have but more. We're, we're rooting for the chaos. Do you have more we're faith? Here for the chaos. More faith in the Titans winning over the Texans, or, or let me rephrase it: more likely Texans beat the Titans or Jacksonville beats Indy. Texans beat the Titans. Because we've seen it. It was a six-point game, by the way, earlier this year in Indy because, for, for Jacksonville. Because we've seen it, because the Titans have a capacity to lose to bad teams, and because the Colts are coming off a loss last week and, I think, rebound. Chad, what would it tell us if the Titans went to Houston and lost? About it would tell Titans? us that they have no shot at uh, winning the AFC, that their chances would be done, and that um, they are one of the most inexplicable teams in recent memory, and I'm not saying bad, just that they would have lost twice to Houston to the Jets and then the beaten, Steelers. beaten the best, yeah, the Steel and beaten some of the best teams in the league yeah. and uh, on their schedule. Just a very weird uh, season. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they go to Houston and win, um, but I, I, I've said it all week. This is their chance to go to the Super Bowl. They lose that game. Sunday is their chance. They lose that game, you flush that coach of the year. I'm not saying it's a given they're going to the Super Bowl. I'm saying it is a given they are not going to the Super Bowl if they don't have that bye in those two home games. They're winning. I I think they win easily. I do too. Um, Indy too. (laughs) It has taken a season in Jacksonville. Even if they, they don't want it to be, but they're, I mean, their home fans are going to be dressed as clowns. <laughs> I hope enough show How, up. What I a great description for a game. Up. I mean, their home fans—they're—they're they're dressing as clowns. <laughs> Here's the thing: game. if you live in Jacksonville, right, and all these games are on, and it's a pretty good NFL day, do you say I'm going to stay home and watch Red Zone and see everything going on in the league, or I'm going to take the time and effort to dress up as a clown <laughs> to go to the game. Now, taking the time and effort to dress up as a clown to go to the game could have long-lasting impact on my franchise. So I really should suck it up and go. Sometimes it's like a going to church conversation. We really should go to church. You know? <laughs> but the fire's you burning talk yourself and out it's of it. pretty warm <laughs> in here. Yeah. It's pretty warm in front of this. You know, it's a we Good should pre-game. go, but the fire's burning. Yeah. Big pregame show on. <laughs> Sounds like Satan got a hold of Some pancakes going. Oh, <laughs> What a comparison. Going to church and dressing up as a clown to go to the Jaguars game. 
Forgive me, Lord. Some would say that's their church. Yeah. Oh, man. That, that stadium in Jacksonville, that I don't even know the name of it anymore. I call it Altel Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> that's five sponsors ago. Guys, it's been a fun week. MVP of the week, David Reed. Yes. That guy over there. Making it happen. Uh, thanks to all of the, the viewers across the network and uh, listeners across the OutKick radio network as well. We appreciate you. We are back on Monday. Full preview of Alabama and Georgia that will kick off Monday night. It will be Black Monday, meaning there's going to be coaching decisions made across the it's NFL. Big day on the show. And the playoffs will be set. Full analysis on Monday as well. Paul, enjoy Houston. We applaud you, and we ask you, don't block the box, even if the ice slides you in there. And do, please, block your locks. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network from 6th and Peabody. Have a great weekend. Good thing I tucked into that camera instead of that camera. <laughs>